take off the masks. I know that sounds a little cliche and I, I hate to put it all into one phrase there, but it's the glasses you view the world through. It's the masks that you wear out there. Like be okay opening up and being that vulnerable, unique self that you are. Because like you said, even in business, authenticity is what works. That is the piece that people crave. That is the thing that people will actually connect with. And if they're connecting with a mask or they're connecting with a performance, then that's only going to get you so far. And eventually you're going to be found out. And that's going to be a much more difficult transition to navigate than just being yourself from the beginning. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining us today from sunny and beautiful Washington, D.C., we have an entrepreneur, life and business coach, storyteller, unicorn, beardo, vagabond. There's some other things that I'm not even going to try to say. A lover of overtly pretentious teas, bear. Uh, you may have to tell that, although some people will get it. And then, uh, yeah, you're a man of many things, and I'm sure you've been accused of worse. Strother Gaines, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jared. All right, so your website is, uh, this is a family show, so uh, parents with children, uh, <laughs> this URL this URL may need to, you may need to like uh, turn down the volume for a second, but the the, the uh, URL is unicorndammit.com, which I find hilarious, but there might be some that are like, oh, is that, it is funny, but the name, you know, we got all kinds of people listening to this thing, so it's all good. All right, so one of the things that you're really passionate about is believing in yourself amongst other things. So Strother, for people that don't know you, we're going to take a moment to get to know a little bit about you. Take a big swim in Lake you, if you will. But the first question we ask everybody that's on the show is, what's the best concert that you've ever been to? Oh, man, that's a really good... It's probably also the most embarrassing concert I've been to, and that's ah. a game for me. The very first concert I went to when I was <laughs> 13 was, embarrassingly enough, the Spice Girls. And, yeah, no, and... <laughs> As much as I hate to admit it, they put on a pretty fantastic show, and 13-year-old Strother kind of lost his mind back then. Since then, I think adult Strother has preferred the Scissor Sisters, who unfortunately are no longer together. They Uh, are an amazing act and fantastic live, so they're a little bit of both. (laughs) Strother, did the Spice Girls tell you what you wanted, what you really, really wanted? (laughs) I had to zig a zig first, but... <laughs> All right, let's just go there. Do you have a favorite if you had to pick Spice Girls tune? Oh god, you on the spot. Let's see. Spice my favorite Spice Girls song. <laughs> Was there more than one? I, I don't know. <laughs> How do you choose that? It's like yeah, yeah. choice, Jared. What are you going to I would it's probably Spice up your life is probably my favorite. Okay. That's, that's well, like, as number one as it should be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So Strother, seriously, let's take that big swim and like you. There's people who are like, I don't know Strother. Who is this guy? So let's just tell, you don't have to tell the whole backstory, but just a little bit for someone who's not familiar with yeah, you Yeah, sure. So it's a bit of a bouncing around story. I grew up in southeastern Kentucky in a county called Harlan. There is a Oscar award winning documentary about the county that won the Oscar when I was born, the year I was born. It's a rough, it can be a rough place to grow up, especially and sort of to jump ahead a little bit. For a little gay kid living in southeastern Kentucky, it's, it's a rough place to be for a while. Grew up there, went to school, studied dramatic arts, as one does. Moved out to the West Coast, was there for a little while. Toured around with different theater companies, did theater professionally for uh, quite some time. Really enjoyed it, as most theater professionals eventually do. Tried to find something that paid a little bit more than theater did at the time. Became a massage therapist, did not pick the perfect pay more <laughs> gig 
became a manager in that field, did some development work with that world and really, really loved it. Got into management, got into leadership through that and then transitioned into becoming a a coach with a a focus on uh, entrepreneurs and creative types. So right now I'm working as a, an entrepreneurial coach, primarily with people who are in sort of the corporate field and are looking to make a transition into an entrepreneurial one or a creative. So the, the tagline right now that I'm playing around with is lawyers who just want to dance. <laughs> so I'm trying to find people who are looking to finally make that transition from something that either, you know, has served them in the past, but isn't really doing it anymore, or at least integrating some of their creative entrepreneurial side into their life so that the golden handcuffs don't hurt quite as much. I get that. That makes sense. So, Strother, when when you and I first met, it was at Heroic Public Speaking, Mm -hmm. which is an outstanding conference put together by Michael Port and his team. And you and I met, it was one evening with a couple other people, Jay Austin, Uh who's been a co-host on the show, and Elisa Cummings, who people should know if they don't already. Lovely. Bo Henderson, a couple other folks. So we, we were hanging out, having some guacamole, uh-huh. and having a, a couple beverages. And, and actually, what's funny is the recording today is on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. So we were having margaritas. And uh, and for some reason, in our infinite wisdom in that moment, we went around the table and shared embarrassing stories. And Strother, we heard some good ones. I'm sure you could testify. But none as quite as memorable as yours. So Strother, I knew right when I heard you tell your most embarrassing story that I was like, this is something that has to be shared on Star of the Doubts because it really is a Star of the Doubts moment. Now, I'm going to ask that you share that story. Now, now that said, I know there's potentially children and stuff who might listen. So, you know, you use your best PG-13. But uh, yeah, dude, go ahead and tell your most embarrassing story if yeah, you would. Mom is going to be real proud of this one. She's. <laughs> I'm on a podcast, Mom. What did you talk about? Well, uh, it's big. So, all right, we'll, we'll start with the story opens up. I am 12 at the time of the story. And my family was actually really strict and would not allow me to uh, see PG-13 movies. So seeing a PG-13 movie was a big deal. And I actually had to go to, we grew up in a very small town. We had to go about three and a half hours to the closest area that could perform a procedure. I had to get a mole removed from my testicles. It was just something they wanted to make sure it got taken care of, make sure that there was no cancer or anything. Thankfully, there was nothing like that. But it was terrifying to a little 12-year-old, so the I got a couple rewards dangled in front of me before I went. And the rewards were I'd get to see Jurassic Park, which was PG-13, so that's a huge one, which it scared the crap out of me. I really regret <laughs> going as a 12-year-old now. But I got to see Jurassic Park, got to go to Applebee's, which was a big deal for, for me. <laughs> yes. And in the Applebee's, in the building that the Applebee's was in, there was a Joseph Beth, which is a bookstore. And I loved books as a kid. And I got to, my dad said, I got to go in and pick out any book I wanted. So we went to the Applebee's, we were eating. I finished super fast because I was so excited to go get my book. I asked him, I was like, can I go pick out the book first? And, and then I can come back and we'll be ready and I'll be able to, I'll know and I'll have all this time. And he said, yeah, sure. He was finishing up his dinner and I went in. And 12-year-old Strother's thrilled. It's this huge bookstore. I've only been in it a couple of times. And I'm looking around for my book, and I'm trying to be really discerning because there's only, I'm only allowed to have one, so I've got to really make a really good pick. And I start realizing that I kind of have to go to the restroom. But I have, don't give it away, Jared. <laughs> I have decided, no, I'm going to, I got to find the book first. So I put it off and it's not too bad. And I'm looking around for it. Still haven't found the book. The urge starts getting a little more intense. 
I finally decide after a little bit that, okay, I'm going to go uh, and try and find the restroom. I'm going to take care of this first. So I start looking instead of looking for the book. And it is a giant bookstore. It's really, it's really enormous. And I'm wandering through and I'm 12 and I'm terrified to talk to adults. So I don't want to ask anyone because it's also embarrassing because it has bathroom in the sentence. So (laughs) I'm wandering around, can't find it, can't find it, looking everywhere, nowhere to be found. I'm starting to get more and more nervous about what's about to happen. I am, you know, combing through the store, checking every corner, starting to just circle around. Eventually, I finally, out of the corner of my eye, see the restroom, start sort of trotting to the bathroom, get to the bathroom, open the door, get inside. And you know that moment when you get to a restroom and your body goes, okay, we're here. Like, let's fire everything up. We're getting ready to go. My body hits that point. Move into the restroom. I open the first door to get into the men's room. I get to the stall. There's only one stall. I go to open the stall and the stall is locked. And from inside, I hear a voice that says, just a minute. And my body's already hit that point where it's like going. And so I am terrified. I'm scared. I'm sweating. It's awful. And I'm sitting in front of the stall waiting for this person to finish. And I start repeating in my head. I just keep saying to myself, you can't poop your pants. 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 And as I'm repeating this and the time is passing by and the clock is ticking down, I get this one brief moment of just shining clarity where my internal monologue goes, yes, you can. (laughs) And in that moment, as soon as my internal monologue says, yes, you can, I poop myself in Joseph Beth. A moment later, the guy who's finishing up opens the door. Oh, no. It's all yours. And I met <laughs> him and I'm like, thank you. I, <laughs> I wander in and I start weighing my options. Oh, <laughs> so man. the immediate idea is, well, maybe, maybe I can salvage this. And so I take my underwear off and I flip my underwear out into the toilet trying to <laughs> clean up and... That it's, you cannot salvage that. That's not actually a thing you can do. So I'm recognizing, like, I can't put these back on. This is ruined. I can't do anything with this. Everyone will know. So, and I'm so sorry. I, whoever had to deal with this is listening right now. I owe you a meal or a drink or something. But I just took the underwear and I threw it behind the toilet. There, <laughs> thinking someone will have to deal with it, not me. Pulled my pants back up. Ran outside, ran back to my father, who's still in the Applebee's. He's like, did you find your book? And I was like, I just want to go. <laughs> it's like, why? You don't you want your book? I was like, no, I don't want the book. I want to just go back to the hotel. I'm like, okay. So we get in the car, and it clearly, like, he knows something is wrong. And we're sitting in the car, and I'm quiet and looking down at the floorboard of the car. And he finally leans over, and he's like, what's wrong? What happened? And I was like, you can't tell mom. <laughs> I, promise, I promise I won't tell your mom. And I look over at him and I'm, I'm sure I'm about to cry. And I look up at him and I go, I poop myself in Joseph Beth. <laughs> that story is great for so many reasons. But what happened after that was fun, too, is that Bo Henderson actually came up with a, a very yes. valuable yeah, takeaway from your, you know, your unfortunate circumstance in that story. 
we need to you know kind of watch our, our wording here but what yeah <laughs> what was that what was that takeaway so, from that story that Bo the, the takeaway from this we were at a public speaking conference we were all coming up with what's your big idea what is the thing that you want to communicate to the world and i was you know i had a couple of ideas but nothing really had solidified over the the course of the training yet and i was going to work on it and so i tell this story at the the taco place and Bo, you know, everyone's laughing. Bo looks over and he goes, that's your big idea, Strahd. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't tell. This is not a keynote or anything like that. And he goes, no, that's your big idea. Sometimes you just have to leave your crap behind. <laughs> he didn't say crap, it, but yeah. <laughs> trying to PG-13 this for everybody, yeah, but it was brilliant. And Bo nailed it. And I, it's I don't know what the form is going to be, but that's going to be part of my big idea. Sometimes you just got to leave that behind. Well, Strother, I, I'm thrilled that you're comfortable to share <laughs> that because yeah, while it is it's really unfortunate. Audience, right? It's just like a couple people. It's, it's not like a lot will hit, right? <laughs> no, but it is hilarious. And, and I think on some level, people can relate to being embarrassed or having an awkward moment and for you to kind of tie that into something about related that sometimes you got to leave your you know crap behind. I, I do think there is some wisdom in that. So I know some people are shaking their head like, oh, man. But uh, I'll say this, Strother. There have been a few moments in my life where I've laughed as hard as that. And it, it's not many. And I, I remember walking away <laughs> from that afterwards and just thinking, dude, that was probably the hardest I've laughed in years. I'm happy to have been that. So I will never forget you, and I will never—I will certainly never forget that particular evening because of, of that story. So I think that's uh, great. Now, you know, Strother, we love to pretend that all things are, are you know, roses and, and beautiful and perfect, but we know that life has always given us twists and turns. So you returned from that conference, and then you had more challenges kind of, you know, knocking at your door when you got back. So, so what are some things that you had to navigate after you got home? Yeah, you, uh, you kind of zoomed right in on it. The moment I got back, my partner of three years who I lived with, we have a, had a dog together. I got the we have to talk talk the moment I walked in, hadn't unpacked my suitcase or anything. And four days later, was out of my apartment and looking around for places to to live. Even, you know, it was crashing on yeah. couches and taking up some of my friends on, you know, their offers to, to be around them. And so it was a, it was definitely a rough return. It was a wonderful conference. I met a lot of wonderful people, learned a lot of great things, and then got a really real world example of uh, coming back into something that is not as you planned it. And like you said, life you want to think is roses and rainbows and unicorns all the time. And sometimes you get sideswiped. And I, I think the hard thing to do in that moment and the thing that it's a challenge for people who are even sort of in the development world is you know, nothing is a failure. Everything is a data point. You're collecting data and you're learning and you're growing and hopefully using that as a friction point to push off into something better or to learn something about yourself or to learn something about how you show up and who you are in relationships or who you are in business, who you are in networking events, things like that. These setbacks and these what we would, you know, quote unquote, call failures are sort of those places where you get to practice leaving that behind. And I don't the metaphor kind of falls apart <laughs> as we go along with that one. But, you know, taking some of the things that you learn from it. You know, one thing that 13-year-old Strother knew to do is ask an adult when the time came. If you needed something, like, it's okay to go talk to somebody because if you don't, this is something that could happen. And that was one of the things that pushed me through, you know, the, my fear of speaking to the people that I wasn't, quote unquote, supposed to speak to as a kid. 
So it's a way to learn like what it is you want and need and how to sort of take ownership of all of that. And it's a tough thing in the moment. And hopefully as the time goes by and you, you know, sort of start recentering and rebalancing your life or rebalancing the situation, you can see it as a growth point and a place to really sort of reevaluate and realign with what you actually are looking to create. Strother, this show is called Star of the Doubts, and I love conversations like this where we can get real and vulnerable and just be honest. And uh, there are people who are listening that are in very challenging seasons. So, uh, Strother, you're no stranger to that. We know this from two of your stories already. So what, what advice do you have for people who are navigating those circumstances? I think the biggest piece to me and sort of the thing that I build my coaching methodology and practice on is just is authenticity and practicing radical authenticity in the moment in wherever it is you find yourself. So being true to what it is you really want and knowing what it is and not being afraid to ask for the support or the help or the advice or or whatever it is that your community or your network has to offer you. I think that it's really important to actually go for the thing that would make a huge difference as opposed to go for the thing that stops the bleeding. And it's really tough when you're starting to bleed out in a situation like that. But being able to look at all of the people you have in your community, in your life, or if you feel like you don't really have a community or people like that to lean on, finding them and creating that that network and that those relationships. I truly believe in the power. You know, it takes a village is such a phrase that's thrown around all the time, but it really does. I think that being able to reach out for support is a huge piece for entrepreneurs, for small business owners, for freelancers, for really anybody. And it can be one of the most difficult things when you are feeling super down or feeling super vulnerable or hurt or like a failure. You know, fear of failure is one of the biggest ones. And it's tough to break out of that and say, I feel like a failure right now. I feel like things are really hard. I feel like I've not lived up to my potential or what I quote unquote should be. I've quote unquote it a couple of times. I've <laughs> overused yeah. that for an audio uh, recording, but being able to get out there and ask for what you need and create the things that you want. I think that that's a, a huge piece of being able to pull yourself out of this and leave that stuff behind. Uh, that's well said. So, Strother, you mentioned, you know, finding that community, finding that support, and you've even gone as far as share the story of how you grew up in just a really small town in Kentucky. You know, so I guess many would consider that the, you know, the strictest of the Bible Belt or, and then, you know, you being gay, what was that like for you being in that type of environment and trying to find your community, find your voice, be you, be your authentic self? in a place where probably people didn't appreciate that or mm-hmm. didn't want to hear that. I don't, I don't know. What was that like for you? Yeah, I actually, my whole coming out story, I did not fully come out until after I graduated from undergrad. So my high school career was spent denying that part of me. I was for a long time, a very evangelical Christian and spirituality is still a part of my world. It's more on the sort of like meditative side. But for a long time, that was a huge part of my identity that I used to conceal a different part of my identity. So I know what it feels like to be inauthentic and to have to or to feel like you have to present an inauthentic front to the world. And it's it's tough. I think when you are, especially for young gay kids, when you are developing into who you are as a person and you feel like that is wrong, you end up 
creating a lot of different masks to put on. And I use that metaphor a lot with clients in, you know, what is the, what's your professional mask? I joke about, you know, what is your office phone voice? Do you have a voice like when your friend calls you at the office and you're like, this is Strother, how can I help you? You know, like that's, (laughs) that's your office mask. And like, that's a small one, but we very frequently put on something and it's because we're afraid to reveal that authentic and vulnerable self, because if someone judges that, then they're judging us instead of the performance that we're putting on. And so I hid for a really long time and was not comfortable discussing my sexuality, discussing who I loved, or I was in a relationship with a man for probably two years while still being extremely closeted and only came out to a very small number of friends in my undergrad, which was a fairly supportive environment. It was still uh, Kentucky, which has at the time, it's Kentucky has come leaps and bounds from where it was. But at the time, it was definitely a difficult place to be gay, especially if you were openly gay, and I was not, and I admired the people who were, but I just didn't have the fortitude at the time to really own that part of me. And I moved to California, and I made a deal with myself when I moved. I said, from this point on, like, I might not advertise it, but I will never deny it. If someone asks, like I had a boyfriend at the time, so it was okay. Like if if someone was like, who's that guy? I'd be like, that's my boyfriend. But I I still wouldn't like be too in your face about it was my thinking at the time. And that all came from kind of a shame place of this is not okay. Like this is who you are, but you know, it's don't, I, I, this is still a thing that I know a lot of gay people face. Like I'm okay with gay. Just don't like shove it in my face by holding your partner's hand or, or kissing at the table. Um, so I, I ascribed to that for a while, too. And it takes it takes a long time to sort of work your way through that. And it takes, a, again, I go back to this a lot, but a supportive community. And I didn't really find that until I moved to D.C. And this was sort of the, the city where I finally found a gay community that was open and outgoing and lived, you know, life out loud and all the sort of things that that we like to throw out there. And It was my first pride parade and it was the first time really being able to see like there are other people who have similar life experiences. One of the things that I think I love about meeting a a new person in the LGBT community is that we all have the coming out experience. My background in theater, I always say the thing about theater that makes it powerful is it's a shared experience with an audience. And you can talk about that later and be like, oh, remember when they forgot their line or they dropped the prop or something like that? Like that happens in that moment. And for community based work, LGBT or otherwise, it's having a shared experience and kind of already knowing the lingo before you have the conversation. Because when I talk to another gay man who's from a southern state, we can have a pretty open and honest conversation where we kind of know where it might go when we talk about how we came out to our father. So it's developing that community is really what helps me see and feel comfortable being authentic and vulnerable with people. So a lot of people listen to this show. It's not everybody, but there's a lot of people listen to the show that are uh, would claim to be they're you know Christians, and you know I, I claim to be a Christian, mm-hmm. and I am you know Christian. And so I would say, I guess my first question to you is: is Do you feel like the Christian community overall has? What do you feel like the Christian community's perspective is on gay culture, on the gay community? I just want to hear your take on that. Sure, it's such spirituality and religion are such an individualized thing that I think it's hard to make a sweeping generalization. That's fair. Yeah, we, we know yeah that. I just want to throw that out there. But, you know, I grew up in an area where religion was kind of used as a bit of a bat to fend off gay or Muslim or any really other community. 
And I don't think that it's a systemic issue of Christianity. The I, the tenets of Christianity, I think, are fairly solid, and you know, people would not follow for that long if they weren't. I think that it is a place where it's easy to use something like religion as a way to explain away or to justify sort of a fear of the unknown. I think what happens a lot of the time with Christians who are anti-gay or anyone who's anti-gay is oftentimes it's because they've created an image of what gay means without actually knowing gay people. The secret being you definitely know gay people, they've just not told you. But it's not necessarily the thing that you see in the media. It might be. And I have drag queen friends and transgender friends and people that sort of push what many would call a social norm. And that is, for some people, a harder battle to win. But I think that any sort of religion-based stereotyping of a community, gay or otherwise, is based around a fear. And fear is dispelled when you get to actually meet someone who challenges your perception of what that is. And I think that, you know, I mentioned Bear in my Twitter handle. That is a subculture of the gay community. We are, you know, stockier guys with beards. And for a lot of people, that challenges a, a huge assumption about what it means to be gay. And for some people, it doesn't. But it is, I think, a powerful thing to meet someone who stands in the face of what you thought this group was and what you had pegged. And it's something that gets pushed around by religious leaders sometimes that it's just because it's easier to understand if we put someone in a box. If they're not in a box, then we have to actually interact with them on an individual level. And that requires a lot more of our time and energy, which is why people make gut assumptions and stereotypes as we feel like, I just don't have the time or the energy to actually judge this person as an individual, because then I'd have to judge everyone like that. So to actually take that time or to meet someone on the one-to-one level where it's challenged, I think that's where people start to form the... uh, or start to develop and change their concept of what it means to be gay and what those people are like. So, Strother, I, I know this might not be the most fun topic, but I, I do think it's interesting. And, and so I, I will uh, add one more sure. thing and then we'll kind of move on beyond this. But I grew up in the South, too. grew up in, you know, church. And, and I think for most of my childhood growing up, you know, I, I was just not exposed to anything related to the gay community. And it was you know, until I was older before I, I started to see that and be around that. And there was there was a lot of things that I was challenged with, like what's you know what are my real beliefs on this issue, if you want to call it an issue, you know, or, or this particular lifestyle. And so I want to ask you a question. There are a lot, like we mentioned, there's a lot of people out there who are listening who are good people who've grown up hearing different things, right or wrong. And so I would ask, what is your advice to that person who's listening and say, hey, I've grown up hearing this, but you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm to your point, trying to see people the right way and trying to treat people the right way, trying to love my neighbor, if you will. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who's kind of grown up in Kentucky or grown up in some of these other places where they may have been told one thing, but now they, they sense, uh, hey, you know, I, I still have some core beliefs, but also, you know, I, I want to love my neighbor. So, so what would you say to those people? I would say question your assumptions. I would say get out into the space, whether and that could be an intimidating thing for someone to, the first step may not be join up in the pride parade. It might be, that would be lovely. We'd love to see you at the pride parade and talk to you. But I think it's engage in a dialogue and just find the individual and see what our story is like. I understand a lot about what it is like to grow up in that environment and, you know, question all the authority, question all of the stuff that you learn and develop your own opinion. I disagree when someone says that being gay is a sin or being gay is wrong, of course. But at the same time, if you have developed an opinion on something, then 
you can have an opinion, but it's when people say, you know, you're stepping on my right to free speech, like I can respond to the free speech however I see fit. And if you think it's a sin, then I can say, then I don't necessarily need to associate there. And for the people that are looking to sort of grow and challenge that assumption, like we can't speak for the entire gay community, I'm sure, but myself specifically, and many, many others are super open to having a conversation and telling you about what it was like for us and really starting to individualize your perception and see that we have lots of the same. We share a lot more in the Venn diagram than you may think and that you may have been told. And I think that it's really important to challenge those stereotypes. And sometimes you may find them to be true. You might meet a drag queen who fits many of the stereotypes that you hold near and dear, or that's not probably the phrase for it. But I would say just meet us. And Harvey Milk was one of the first people who really had the made the campaign for come out for gay people. A lot of us lived in the closet for a long time, especially in his era. And the reason for coming out was so that we had visibility and that people could share their stories as individuals and as actual people and as Strother or Mike or Brendan or whoever it is. And then I think that challenges people in a way where now you have to judge Strother or Mike or Brendan or Melissa or whoever it is. And you like that person. And that doesn't seem that doesn't fit the mold that you had originally shaped. So come talk to us. If you want to email me, if you want to call me, I would love to talk to you about it. I know there are a lot of resources out there for people to sort of plug themselves into a community. And I would say a large portion of us are super open to having the conversation. So, Strother, we'll turn the conversation from there because I want to talk about the business stuff just for a little bit. I do appreciate you being willing to go there and talk about that. And I know that there will be people who will listen to this and that. That's something they need to hear today. So that's good. The unicorn idea, I think, is really fascinating. I think it's kind of funny. But I love how it ties into authenticity. And I know from firsthand experience in my own business and growing you know, your network and growing your platform online, so on and so forth, authenticity works. People want the real you. So let's talk about the unicorn idea and what that's all about. Sure. So again, sorry to jump on the PG-13 side, but my company's name is But I'm a Unicorn, damn it. And originally, I honestly, I wish I had a moment of brilliance where I was like, that's where this came from. And I really just came up with the idea. But one day that was just it. And it, it started to develop into this idea of that sense or that feeling where you know you have something more to contribute, but something's just not clicking. You know, you feel like you're creative, you feel like you're an entrepreneur, you feel like you could have your own Etsy shop or paint for a living, but it's not working, or you're afraid to jump into it and you're just sort of living this life of, you know, the metaphor being horse to unicorn. And how do you make that transition and how do you make that leap? And so for me, it's the whole concept of my coaching practice and the idea of authenticity is really being able to own the unique snowflake that you are. And that's such a a cliche, but it's totally true. And people challenge me with that. And they say, well, you know, if everyone's special, then nobody is like we're in this era of like, everyone gets a participation ribbon. And, you know, (laughs) I think that my thought process on it is if everyone is special, then no one has an excuse. Everyone's got some sort of something to contribute to the world. And it may take you a while to find it, you may have to go through a 100 different iterations of the wrong things to do that. Uh, My career path bounces all over the place. 
And it's only through trying and failing at those things where you start to develop skills and put everything together where you can actually contribute uniquely to the world and you can create value and you can deliver amazing results and content and products and whatever it is you're creating. Steve Jobs has a quote, I'm going to mangle it, that talks about you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. And that's you just have to keep going until suddenly you can look back and go, oh, this led to that, which led to this, which led to this connection, which led to this conference, which led to Jared, which led to me being on this podcast, which led to whatever that leads to. And podcast movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. But that's you don't know until you look back. And it's sometimes it's really discouraging for people when you are, you know, 10 steps into a 40 step process and you just don't know where you are. Sometimes the roadmap's not clear and then keep plugging along, keep trying my thought on authenticity is why plug down that 40 step path doing something that you don't actually love or something that doesn't actually light you up or something that's not playing to your strengths and your skills and your unique nature. Go down the path. So when you look back, you can go, I felt fulfilled and like I was learning and growing and developing. And that's led me to this wonderful thing rather than I've just stayed in this one place because I've been afraid to sort of own my unique gifts. Wow, that's well said. All right, so Strother, we'll start to wrap up here. Who is doing something that interests you? Hmm. I would say, what am I listening to right now? I just finished up a book called The Accidental Creative, and that is a resource. I'm feeling terrible because the author's actually been uh, emailing with me. I'm looking it up right now because I'm terrible with author's names, and I apologize. Todd Henry. Todd has a book called The Accidental Creative, which I just finished up, which sort of lays out a path to engaging your creative side in a more methodical way than many creativity books do. I think that I love some of the more like airy fairy books that are like and engage and feel and process. But this really has a very step one, step two, step three. Here's what you can create. Here's what you can do. And I really connected with that piece. And then, you know, you mentioned Jay Austin and, and Lisa and Bo and all of these people. The the people I met at the Heroic Public Speaking Conference, that group of people, uh, just in general, I would give a shout out to everyone in that world. They are all up to some huge, wonderful things. And thanks to Michael and Amy for, you know, arranging all of that and putting that together. And Dan Cordell and all of the people who were there with us, it was a really huge experience. And I think that they're up to everyone that was at that was, you know, blew my socks off as to what they're up to, yourself included. So thank you to to you and to everyone else who's uh, who's out there creating the big stuff. Man, Strother, I really appreciate this. So what's the best place for the listeners to stay connected with you online? Sure. Uh, my website is unicorndammit.com, and that's D-A-M-M, uh, and no N in it, so M like Mike. So that's a great place to go. I am actually starting to develop a podcast as well. So be on the lookout for that. It will also be, but I'm a unicorn, damn it. Uh, We're tossing around some ideas. It will be a storytelling podcast, potentially entrepreneur open mic. Not sure where your business fairy tale might take it. I'm not where we're still working up in the the name, but be on the lookout for that. And you can shoot me an email at strother at unicorndammit.com and I will, I'll get back to you ASAP. Well, I hope to be considered for that podcast because oh, I know I know it's going to be good. <laughs> All right, so Strother, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Take off the masks. I know that sounds a little cliche, and and I, I hate to you know put it all into one phrase there, but it's the glasses you view the world through. It's the masks that you wear out there. Like 
be okay opening up and being that vulnerable, unique self that you are. Because like you said, even in business, authenticity is what works. That is the piece that people crave. That is the thing that people will actually connect with. And if they're connecting with a mask or they're connecting with a performance, then that's only going to get you so far. And eventually you're going to be found out. And that's going to be a much more difficult transition to navigate than just being yourself from the beginning. Trust me. I know. Stoddard, I appreciate your time. I just love what you're up to. Love your authenticity. I think you're one of the better storytellers I've come across. And like I said, I've never laughed so hard in a long, long time as that one night. So that's something I'll never forget. I appreciate that gift. A gift and, to you, Jim. <laughs> yeah, it is a gift. It was it was something I needed at the time. So, Strother, just uh, so grateful for you and absolutely wish you well and everything. Sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jared. get out into the space. And that could be an intimidating thing for someone. The first step may not be join up in the pride parade. It might be. That would be lovely. We'd love to see you at the pride parade and talk to you. But I think it's engage in a dialogue and just find the individual and see what our story is like. Podcast Movement 2015 is coming to Texas this summer, and we want you to be there. Join over 1,000 current and aspiring podcasters at the world's largest podcaster conference. Featuring Sarah Koenig of Serial, Roman Mars of 99% Invisible, Pat Flynn, Aisha Tyler, Lou Mangello, John Lee Dumas, and over 50 other speakers. All that's missing is you. Learn more and register now at podcastmovement.com. 